Well, good good morning, good afternoon, good evening, everyone. Thank you so much for joining us today for yet another podcast with the Pure Digital Passion Podcast with Moses Kemibaro. Today, my guest is Moses Deritu, somebody I've known probably for the better part of the last two decades, if I can remember that far back. Uh, Moses Karibusana. Thank you very much. So Moses, um, there's so many things, so many accolades, I think, that go with the things that you've done over the years. And, and I think it's important to bring a bit of color to a little bit about who you are and where you're coming from. Um, maybe we can talk a little bit about where, you know, I think we first met, which is when I think you started a company called uh, Level One. Maybe you can tell us a little bit more about what that was and, and how it came to be. I think my, my career journey started off, uh, yeah, in the early 90s. <laughs> Um, when I landed in a, in a studio like this and um, started working uh, for a company called Fast Forward Productions and did that for, they used to do advertising and that kind of thing. And then um, did that for around six, seven years, moved to Blue Sky for a short while and then started my own production company, which is Level One. And behind, the reason I started Level One is because um, I had a client, Omo Pickerbox was my, one of my mm. projects. Okay. So it got to a point whereby I couldn't keep doing Kenya's biggest game show then as a freelancer. So yeah, so did level one for a better part of 10 years. Um, then some of the people I worked with, my employees, then uh, sold it to them and they're running it up to today, then moved to ads. Um, did, um, at the same time was running exclusive, which was um, the pioneer company in uh, mobile sanitation. And that went on for Maybe probably another, I'd run that for another 10 years and then offloaded that to uh, one of the big uh, event suppliers in Nairobi. And then um, with with others, uh, founded a company called Koto Housing, where we were doing alternative building technologies or quick build housing. And hopefully, uh, for, we were hoping that we would be able to take advantage of the whole uh, housing push that's going on in the country. And then two years ago, I... Um, I left as um, the founding CEO and then um, started following a passion that I've been looking at for the better part of 10 years. I've been quite an um, enthusiast of uh, EV. So once um, um, just studying EV, trying to see the trends in EV, um, was my, I would say, was my COVID project. And um, as they say, the rest is history and here I am. Yeah, so as we know each other, and I think the reason why we're here today is I've been following all these incredible updates you've been posting, I think, on on Facebook, you know, for a while now. And I've been very, you know, I almost feel like you're Kenya's evangelist for all things electric and, you know, electric, electric mobility, electric-powered mobility. Um, maybe you can tell us a little bit more uh, about, you know, what is the spark or what is the catalyst behind this? What did you see? What problem did you see that needed to be solved? You know, maybe you can share the initial inspirations that took in this direction. I think in 2013, um, I happened to be privileged to spend uh, around a month in Guangzhou in China. Uh -huh. And I noticed everybody who was doing deliveries from your food, water, um, what just, um, Guangzhou does not allow motorcycles, but everyone was on an electric bike. And I was back in 2013. Back in 2013, a lot of them were, lithium, were not lithium ion; they were actually um, lead acid batteries. Okay. But for me, it just said, well, this makes a lot of sense. The only downside was then the bikes would pass you, and you just you wouldn't hear it coming. But it completely intrigued me that this can actually work. And then when I went back in 2017. Um, I realized that the technology had moved leaps and bounds in four years. Now everyone was on lithium batteries. They were moving um, 
they could actually get better speeds, better, uh, quicker charging. They had taxis. There was a big taxi ranks the size of probably our mall. And that's about is. four years from so about 2017. Exactly, thereabouts. Yeah. 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 I'm defining a whole taxi rank, maybe the size of the uh, Sarit Center parking lot, all electric. And I said, this makes a lot of sense. So um, I then bought some bicycles for my kids and I said, okay, I buy them bikes, but it's also an opportunity for me to actually try out do these electric bikes work. And I tell you, I was sold. So that was the first time, 2017, I bought the electric bikes. And I just kept um, in touch with that technology. Of course, you see the Teslas coming and you see all this and you're all excited and thinking how this completely makes sense to me. Um, it, I just kept thinking this is going to be the next big thing. So I've always, um, for, for the last maybe four years, I've just been keeping an eye on that industry, seeing where it's going, trying to understand how can we develop or how can we adopt that technology uh, for the home market. And yeah, and that that whole interest uh, over the last more or less close to 10 years is what has brought me here uh, to where I am and um, I'm currently working with Basigo as a chief revenue officer, which is a big name for head of sales. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I'm part of the executive team and Basigo's mission is to electrify public service transport, especially from the buses and Matatu sector. You know, it's interesting that you're talking about, you know, 2013 and so forth. I remember back going to the UK, I think it was back in in uh, 2015, I think it was. And we're in London and went to one of the big malls there, you know, with my family. And, you know, I got so excited. I saw uh, Tesla superchargers, you know, so this like fleet of Teslas and then there was this supercharger. I even took photos. I think I put them on Facebook at the time. I was like, oh my God, I saw a Tesla for real. Yeah. And then secondly, I saw them being charged by superchargers, you know, as a geek the kind of geek that I am, um, I was just like, oh my God, this is like heaven, you know? And to think that it's now, what, seven, eight, nine years later, and it's only just starting to happen here. Do you think one of the big things that has happened in this electrification space or of mobility is that it's become a lot more democratic, a lot more affordable, or is it still a long way off from, from doing that? I, I think the one thing that um, that's really changed dramatically, especially in our lifetime, is access to information. So what used to take maybe... 20 years, 30 years to come to um, to uh, the dark continent, Africa, as they, uh, if I would use those words, it's now taking five years. And I'll give you the same, I mean, if you look at, in our lifetime, uh, when mobile phones started, we were paying top dollar for a mobile phone. Oh, yeah. But today, when, and when iPhone removes a new iPhone, how long does it take to get to Nairobi? Literally days. So that's actually what's happening. There's more information, there's more people with that interest. So, I mean, we have a Tesla in Nairobi. That's amazing. I mean, um, somebody saw it, decided that this is what I want to drive, and hey, this guy drives a Tesla in Nairobi. Now, those are not things that normally would happen, but I am I'm very clear that that information needs to be available. All the, There are too many positives about um, EVs that um, for us to wait for the rest of the world to move on, and then we are left dumped with all these old vehicles that nobody wants. So we have to be able to... Um, just shorten that adoption period. So there are many people who seem to think that, you know, Africa is not ready for electric. I mean, the first thing they say is that, well, do you guys even have stable, reliable, and affordable electricity? I mean, you need those to fundamentally make this work. Mm. What are your thoughts around that perspective that maybe, you know, this is a technology that's not quite ready for Africa yet? The only thing that the, those people who say that, and I'm sorry to say that most of them are Westerners, the only thing they thought Africa was ready was for religion. Everything else we're told we are not ready for. But that one, they thought we were ready for it. We are more than ready. It's Africa that actually needs um, 
those electric vehicles. Remember, Africa is um, the worst hit with climate change, but only contributes 3% of greenhouse gases. So who needs who needs that um, uh, mitigating um, measure? Is it is it them or is it us? Um, take Kenya, for example. Kenya's energy mix is 92% renewable. Absolutely, the hydro and all that. Yes, geothermal. It's geothermal, wind, and we're even getting solar. If we've got 92% renewable energy, what better country than to use electric uh, vehicles than Kenya? In the world, show me one that's better than Kenya. We actually are the best country, even in terms of if you want to look at uh, the carbon effect. Kenya is the place to be in using electric vehicles. But how do we get that adoption? One, knowledge must be available. We must change certain regulations and laws to be able to make this technology easier to absorb. We need to be able to solve the problem that of higher phone calls. We need to solve the problem of um, technicians. But we're looking for jobs. Um, when mobile phones came, where could you fix your phone? Today, how many mobile phone technicians are there? So necessity is the mother of invention. So the people will come. So I think um, it's a technology that is time has come. And for me, just even the simple thing, and I'll, I'll give you an opportunity to use an electric bike for a day. I will tell you, you will be, be completely blown away. When it's like you the do bicycle that. or the... Bicycle. Well, let's start at basics. Bicycle. You will be completely blown away. So... Coming back again to maybe the other you know thing that we're hearing about electric is obviously the vehicles today are somewhat expensive. You can only essentially buy them brand new. I know in Kenya, for instance, we're seeing a lot of the, the Nissan Leafs. Mm -hmm. uh, they seem to be in the market here and there. Um, what are your thoughts about the cost of acquiring an EV versus a regular internal combustion engine vehicle today You know, in Kenya and what, what the way forward looks like from that point of view? Well, if you just look at acquisition costs, then of course EVs are so much more expensive. More, uh, mainly EVs work out at two and a half x times, uh, two to two point five x uh, of a, a normal, comparable of a comparable vehicle. But um, over the last ten years, that has been coming down. I mean, what is Tesla trying to do? They are trying to bring in a thirty thousand dollar car. Where did they start? They were at above a hundred thousand going on. So they are, that the the technology is getting cheaper and getting. Uh, uh, to a point where it is actually affordable. So right now, I believe EVs are affordable, but the problem we have is um, what cars do we buy in Kenya? We mm. buy 80-year-old cars. That's true. So we buy second-hand cars from, um, from more developed markets. So when you compare a brand-new EV and you're comparing it with, um, uh, with a, even with an 80-year-old car, then uh, that gap is too huge. But if we were buying, if we were, a we were a country that was buying brand new cars, then that gap is a bit uh, is a bit lower. Then how do we also uh, calculate our taxes? Our taxes are based on depreciation value of the vehicle. So if you buy a new vehicle in Kenya, you are punished because you pay higher tax. But if you buy an old vehicle that is polluting, that actually no one else wants out there, they're dumping it on you. You pay lower tax. So mm -hmm. if that was inverted, um, for example, if you are buying a uh, you are buying a brand new EV. And you had you pay lower tax than a guy who's buying an eight-year-old diesel vehicle that has already probably is at end of life in their country. Um, who's doing better for the country and who's doing better for the environment? So, a guy driving an EV is uh, should actually be um, given an incentive as opposed, and that's what Europe is doing. Every country that where EVs have taken off, be it the US, be it the Finlands, be it part of the EU, even in India, there's either a subsidy program or if you you know, we can't afford the subsidy, there's a tax break. 
So if we don't do that, then we are going to still be a second-hand market where we take dumped vehicles from Japan and UK and everywhere else. When they, when, as they are moving to EV, what will they do? They'll dump those cars with us and we'll still keep um, suffering from pollution. And uh, maybe another reason why we should all be driving EVs is because instead of sending all our dollars to the Arabs, we'll be sending all our dollars to Kenjen and Kenya Power and people who actually generating mm, power I like locally. That yes. I love that. Yes. So we so what we'll be doing is building home homegrown wealth because Kenjen will be able to uh, generate more. All these other maybe private power producers will generate more and especially if we can then say for EV then let's segreg segregate it to green energy. Then I think it will be such a game changer and we could actually change this country very dramatically. So you're almost saying that from a government perspective, you know, in terms of laws, regulations, taxes, all these yeah. things, the right incentives need to be put in place for this to actually take off. Most definitely. There's no industry. I mean, if you look at the industries that have grown, that, you, that you're going to start competing with, um, with an existing industry that's already well, de well developed over the last 60, 60 70 years. Or even some motor vehicle uh, franchises have been here much longer than that. So you're not going to expect to break that um, within a year, if, no matter how good your offering is. However, with the right incentives, we saw, I, I, st I tell people, I remember when um, the cheapest scratch card, uh, when people used to use scratch cards, was 2,500, 5,000 or 10,000. So that completely dropped everybody out. Today you can buy airtime for 10 bob if you required it. And what happened is government gave incentive, created a, a conducive environment for that telco to grow. What has that, what then has happened? All this tech we are seeing, everything we see from mobile money to all these fintechs, to all, all that is on the backbone of, of giving us a liberalized market or an incentive in the telco's market. That just became a game changer. So you do the same with the transport sector. Imagine a Boda Boda guy, let's, let's bring it out to the basics. Yeah. Core ground. Core ground. He spends 300, 400 bob in fuel daily. And then he starts spending 100 bob in power. What have you done? You've given him three, 400 shillings savings in his pocket every day, which is the equivalent of what he's paying alone to buy the bike. Have you lift, uplifted that guy? Absolutely. At Basigo, that's what we are doing with the Matatu industry. We're telling you, you pay us for electric bus, same price as you buy a diesel bus but you then pay us on a pay-as-you-drive model. So for every kilometer you do, you're paying uh, a subscription fee. What do we do? We give you the service, we give you the charging, we give you, uh, we even clean the bus for you. Turnkey. Turnkey. So all you have to do is ensure your bus is on the road. And as long as the bus is on the road, you're making money. So we are saying, if you compare 25-seater diesel bus and you compare a 25-seater electric bus, the electric bus has got around 20% more in revenue per seat. So what are we doing? We're giving that guy, uh, um, we're actually allowing him to be empowering him economically. That means he can pay his driver better, he can pay his conductor better, he's getting energy from Kenya, he's saving the environment, and even the passengers are actually having a much better experience. I actually looked at your uh, website and I saw that the Basigo also comes with charging ports for your phone. So again, even just that holistic experience as a passenger, in fact, it looks so European. I, I looked at it and I was like, for a second, you kind of look and say, okay, is that a, is that a Kenyan background or is that a European one? Because it, it almost looks like it doesn't fit. It's, it, I mean, what we are doing is we're taking the current 
the current um, model of buses. So we are not just taking. And, and let me knock this guy. The buses we have on our roads are actually trucks. It's an it's a canter, <laughs> and then you put a body on it. It's yeah. not a bus. It's a canter. <laughs> it's supposed to carry goods. So this is a bus that is actually built for passenger comfort from the get go from the get go so it's a bit low the floor is a bit lower the, um, it's much more comfortable it's quiet we could actually record this podcast on our basigo bus and that's a beautiful that's a beautiful thing about ev there's no noise it's completely quiet so yes we're giving free wifi there's charging ports we'll be we've got full telematics from anything you want to see on that bus is available for both us who are operating and also the owner all the telematics are there. And even as we move forward, we was looking at how do we then create a booking system so that that way we stop this business. I mean, in this day and age, I still get embarrassed that you go to Kencom and there's still people shouting at you to get into a bus. I mean, that doesn't make sense in 2020. I remember when I was a young man in high school uh, and I needed to go back where I was staying at the time, I would stand at that same Kencom, but mm. you knew the time the bus would arrive to there take you where you're going. There were timetables. And you got there. there. So even if you're having coffee or ice cream with a friend in town, you'd run to make sure you caught the bus on time. Exactly. And we went on timetables, so it was very clear. Then we kind of regressed. But we can do that because now we've got technology. You don't have to put a timetable stack at Kenko. Open your app. You can open your app, look at it, say, oh, I want to be on this bus. I want to be on the 845 bus. Book your seat. Enjoy your coffee, and at eight forty, go to the bus stop. The bus will be there, and you can actually see. I mean, the technology is available. You can actually track the bus. Is it running late? Is it running early? We can do that. And with an electric bus, it's easy, extremely easy, because just a small add-on to the telematics already got in the bus. How is it going with the bus operators and them kind of trying out this new model at Basigo? What, what's what's been the reception and uptake so far? Um, well. The target for the year, what we had, I mean, when I joined, what we were given as a target for reservations, we met that target in four months. In fact, the biggest challenge we have as Basigo is can we deliver the buses that the, um, the operators want? We can. And remember, um, right now we're not assembling. We intend to assemble from Q2 next year. So we have been bringing fully built, built buses. So all the logistic issues that have come out uh, post-COVID, all the cheap issues that are available. So we are going through that. So we can't deliver buses fast enough. So this year, we're only able to deliver another 15. We've got the two pilot buses running. We've got another 15. But next year, we intend to deliver at least 100 at, at a minimum, hopefully more. But um, um, even today, I've just come from a, a SACO meeting, one of these. And people people see these matatus and they think it's just an anomaly. There is, I've come from a SACO that I've got an asset base of a billion shillings. Okay, and they're interested. And what do they do? And the AGM, they've invited us, come and tell us about the, the new technology because they also do not want to be left behind. And this they, is a Matatu Sako? This is a Matatu Sako. We made, we kind of looked down on them, but I, I can tell you Matatu Sako that pay higher dividends than Safaricom. No way. Yes, and that's fact. So these guys are sitting down, they're weighing these options now. They are weighing these options. They're looking and remember, we've been told that the fuel subsidy is over. Um, yeah, or we have... It's going to hit 200. It's going to hit... Uh, uh, in South Africa, it's in Uganda, South Africa, they're around 180 a litre. We are getting going to get there. Um, Kenya shillings getting hit by the dollar, as many other currencies are. So are we expecting fuel to get cheaper? No, it's not going to. So what is the option? The option is maybe let's electrify. And if we electrify, and it's not, not going to happen overnight. So if you're running a petrol station or you're uh, in that industry, there's nothing to panic about. There's a whole... 
um, there's a whole existing ecosystem. They're all the vehicles that are there are still going to be uh, taking fuel. But let us, government policy right now is uh, 5% of all new vehicles by 2025. But what have they put in there to ensure that we achieve that? That's what's missing. And maybe part of this evangelism I'm doing is partly is it's, it's my job to bring, for me to be able to sell to you, I can only sell you what you believe or what you know. Mm-hmm. So I am trying to demystify this thing called electric mobility. And another thing I think would be like, I'm just going to be very honest. I, I would love to own an electric vehicle. I'd love to have this experience. I'd like to get on your bus soon, uh, one of your buses to experience that. But I think there's probably a lot of skepticism, I imagine, in the market. I mean, for me, what I think they call it in Europe, they call it, I think, range anxiety. People get scared about the idea of what happens if you run out of charge and you happen to be on the road. I mean, how are we dealing with those uh, notions which may or may not be unfounded? You know, what are your thoughts around that? Personally, I think range anxiety is just a fallacy and it's a mind block because I keep wondering, do you get range anxiety when you're in your uh, petrol car? You don't have a full tank full all the time. So if you know where you're going and you know, um, I want to, let's say, you, let's assume I know I want to go to Nakuru. Yeah. And I've got an electric car. Then you'll charge it to be able to reach that place and get back. Because right now, um, uh, you, we may not have public charging or uh, public charging or um, in the city so or in, in the country. But a lot of um, people will have to charge at home. So you'll have to plan for that. But if you look at the general journey, let's take a typical Nairobian. You live in Westlands, you work in Upper Hill. Where is your range anxiety? I mean, you're doing 20, 30 kilometers. You're just clogging our roads with your car, which, I mean, you literally could walk that distance or take a bicycle. Mm, over there. Mm. So it's not there. It's not that big. Our buses are doing 250 kilometers on a single charge. Sometimes during lunch, instead of it being parked on the side of the road as the guy goes and has his uh, lunch, he'll go and uh, plug it in for half an hour and just uh, give it a bit of a charge and you'll see buses doing 300 kilometers. Um, the vehicle I'm driving currently, courtesy of uh, Hyundai Kenya Kaitano, is got a range of 485 kilometers. You can On take a single it, charge? You can take it to Mombasa. So what's this range anxiety? I've been driving it for the last um, 10 days. I have never come close to um, empty ever. I get home, I plug it in, and I go and sleep. In the morning, it's got 30%, 20% more than um, than I require, and it's perfect completely perfect. I have not noticed any major spike in my power bill, which is, uh, which is prepaid, but I've noticed a major, uh, major savings in my pocket because I'm not going to the petrol station. No, people like you soon are going to be the ones to be seeing your car in traffic and are not going to be smiling at you anymore. Actually, um, in my opinion, the future of Nairobi is in, on two wheels and buses we cannot afford what we are doing right now. It makes no sense. People are doing commuting 15 kilometers and are using individual cars because we don't have good public transport. We are better off on bicycles, scooters, maybe a small, uh, uh, small motorbikes. That's actually what we should be doing if we can. I mean, if you don't want to walk. Because I keep, um, I, look how far, let me just pop quiz. How far is Rongai? From CBD? Mm-hmm. I don't know. 30 Ks? It's less than 15. No way. It takes two and a half hours to go to the Republic of Diaspora Rangai. is only 15. Yep. If you draw a 30, if you do a diameter of 30 kilometers in Nairobi, everything is inside. 
you're almost at Limuru on one side, the other side you're almost at Kitengela, you're almost at Kiserian, Ngong, everything is within the 30 kilometer radius of CBD. Truly, why I ride my bicycle 37 kilometers from home to Westlands. It takes me an hour and a half. It's electric when I get to the hills of uh, Thika Road. You switch it on. I switch it on or I'm using pedal assist. I'll get to the office fresh. I'm not dying of sweat. I have put in a bit of exercise. But when I do, a, when I drive, I do the same distance and it's only, I only save 15 minutes by driving. So we need to also change our own views about transport and commuting and where we are. It's not even just an electric issue. It's just the way we perceive transport as it is, right? Yeah, because I think um, I think because of lack of what I would say is organized public transport, we all wanted the, for you to show you've made progress, you wanted to buy a car. But look <laughs> at what the generation we've got today. They're shunning cars, they want to use Ubers, which is shared transport. So why can't we Uberize buses? What's, what's the big deal? Let's just make an Uber bus. So, and that's what I think people like Swivel were trying to do. And that's a good thing. But if you can do it with energy generated in Kenya, by Kenyans, that money remains here. It's a win-win. I think for me, that's got to be one of the biggest takeaways from this conversation. The idea that essentially it's local content. You know, the electricity, the movement... Um, I presume, you know, now you're talking about assembly down the road, maybe these buses will be manufactured end-to-end -end here. Um, definitely. The idea that there's an opportunity here to actually, just in the way that I think the mobile device and the internet sort of transformed Africa, mm. um, this electrification could be a step change in how we do things as a continent. Completely, completely. I mean, we, we are not even harnessing the amount of solar we could get in this country or in this continent. Now, when we get to that point, um, and then as, as we get to the second life of these electric vehicles, those will be what we'll be using for solar storage. Um, because again, what do you saw, when, when you have a solar system in your house and you put in batteries, it's lithium-ion batteries. So second life of these buses, in 10 years will be being used for home system to store power. So it's actually a no-brainer on what we are doing. It's actually something that will, um, would, could change how Africa operates could actually make it more affordable for people to be able to commute and to commute in a in a decent way. And I and that's for me, that's the reason I am in this, this industry. And I think I'm getting to that point whereby I'm thinking, I don't want to uh, be in a few, uh, be a serial entrepreneur in a few Yes, things. I was going to say that earlier. Yeah, so I'm beginning to say this is, this is, this is almost like everything I have done coming together. So I'm this is the legacy stuff now. Exactly. So I'm taking what did I learn from production? I learned how to um, how to deal with media, how to put myself out there, how to build a brand. And that's what I'm doing uh, with electric. What did I learn from um, from uh, from the, when I was in the sanitation industry? I, I learned the small things matter because sanitation was, what are, you, what are you appealing to? You're appealing to something that nobody wants to talk about, but you need to be able, but it matters to people. So the small things do matter. What have we seen in our buses? The small things do matter. Silence in the bus, that people can have a conversation in the bus without fighting with uh, engine noise. Then you, uh, then you drown the engine noise with boom twaf. Okay? <laughs> it matters. What I, did I learn from, um, from uh, construction? That if you convince somebody and you show them that you actually you can uh, deliver their dreams, they will, they will, they will always be your disciple. You build somebody, I'll tell you, when you build somebody a house for their mother, you have a seat in that house because you change their lives. So if you change that Boda Boda guy's life and you're telling him that 
he actually can make more money because he's, he's using an electric motorcycle. That bus driver that is actually one of the bus drivers uh, who we use uh, this week is driving a diesel bus. That guy is not happy. He feels like he's taking two steps back. Vibrations, noise, he's exhausted. Okay? He doesn't want to go back because once he drove, and we agreed after this podcast, you're going to have a chance to try the electric car. It's a completely different experience. I think I would call it to the, it's as different as when we say using mobile phones or if you had to a, land, a landline. It's that different. It's that transitional, eh? It's that transitional. So going back again to Basigo, I'm thinking now two, five, two, five, ten years out, mm-hmm. you know, what, what do you see happening? What does the future look like? What do you see, what, what do you see the roadmap being for this business? For, for us, we are hoping to have um, at least a thousand electric buses uh, by 2025. But, and That's soon. Yes. Uh, we believe it, it's possible because once you start uh, assembling them, excuse me, once you start assembling them locally, they become more affordable uh, because there's, of course, uh, duty remission when you do local assembly. That means they'll be easier to, uh, to acquire uh, for the entrepreneur or for the circle or for the uh, bus operator. So we see that that big adoption. I think the thing we have to manage is by the time we get to, if we get even to 100, if I get to 100, I'll be drawing three and a half megawatts of power. So we need to be able to work with the Kenya powers, the Kenjans, to be able to say, if this takes off, you guys must start generating. We don't have enough power right now to power those buses of the future. We may have more than enough power today. And we've got excess power, especially at night, and we charge overnight. But if we get to that level of uh, adoption, we, start, we have to start thinking how do we, uh, where, are the, where is the investment for the next, uh, the next power generation plants will, will come from. And I'm glad that uh, two weeks ago, Kenjen are having that conversation. There was an energy summit sponsored by Kenjen and NMG, and th- that conversation, and I was given an opportunity to make a, a, um, a presentation in that uh, in that conference. So they're beginning to think Kenjen is very progressive. They've bought their first two electric vehicles because they also want to understand this technology. Kenya Power have been a great partner of Basigo, um, and we participate on joint things because they're beginning to understand that this is also a lifeline for them. Because today, once... Uh, once the city shuts down, what do we do with all that power and we're generating and we can't store it? If we could be using it to charge buses overnight, yeah. overnight, all our power bills would actually come down because we, right now we pay for that power whether we use it or we don't. So it's like remnant inventory being turned there into you productive. Are. And then when we start seeing that level is getting uh, close, by that time maybe the next plants will have now kicked in. And all. And if we can do green energy, then we've got the, in future, start looking at what, what are the carbon credits, how how do we monetize those carbon credits. So um, I think the, the future is very green and very bright. So it sounds like there's a lot of macro level implications here, right? You're talking about things that are, Significant. I mean, you're saying to me, basically, if, you're, if the grid is generally, um, when manufacturing and all stops during the day, mm-hmm. um, in the evening, it's basically idle. And there could be incentives then to charge overnight, and then they're getting value out of that. And you sort of start to see a macro effect at scale, enough vehicles around, right? Completely. And you, you can also even use those vehicles to stabilize the grid. Because if you have seen uh, in Taiwan where they actually... You, you buy power based on how much it's been generated and you can actually sell that power back when there's a deficit. So um, you can power your house from your, I mean, that little Nissan Leaf can power your house for four days continuously. That's how much energy is stored in those batteries. Exactly. 
So uh, we can get to the point where we are saying vehicle to grid. So that if if they, we don't have enough and you don't need all the energy in you, you can actually put it back in the grid. So that's a whole new thing that that is going to pick up the same way uh, we've been seeing technology. And then I'm looking forward to the days that mechanics will just be coming with a car laptop and he connects and he diagnoses the vehicle and tells you this is where. And you've then created another job that was not there. That oh, um, And it's a clean job. And it's um, all these tech-savvy kids who are coming, they, they are going to fix those vehicles. Then we'll move to boats. Already it's happening. People are looking at boats. Fishermen who are using uh, electric motors on their boats well, actually get more fish. What? Yes, because there's no noise. So not scaring off the fish. Are you kidding me? So the ben- net benefits are just so many, yeah? The net benefits of uh, EVs are very, very high. Of course, there's always the one big thing is, and everybody says, yeah, what do you do with disposal? Uh, but we, that can be dealt with. It's not a big deal of disposal of batteries once, or also the issue of how it's been mined. But those things are things that can actually be sorted out and pre- pretty well and pretty quickly. So let's, let's, uh, let's have a practical conversation around somebody transitioning from an uh, internal combustion engine vehicle today, like mm-hmm. myself, mm-hmm. who's desirous of you know, an electric vehicle. What are the kind of things or steps you would recommend based on your own experiences to, to make that transition? Okay, right now, unfortunately, we don't have a big choice of vehicles. Yeah, at least let's speak for Kenya. Uh, out there, there might be a bigger choice. So right now, you're very limited to the, uh, and I think it's only as far as I know, and maybe I'm wrong, but the only company I know that's actually bringing on order uh, brand new electric vehicles is Hyundai. I don't okay. know any other. Uh, I know there's a few Nissan Leafs, uh, brand new, but imported as fully built units, and those have been imported for one of the, um, one of these big UN type thing uh, organizations. However, so you don't have that uh, big, bigger choice. Now, um, if you go to the second-hand market, you'll end up with uh, with old with older technology that you may not want uh, uh, that you may not want right now. Why? Because within the last ten years, the battery technology has just moved in leaps and bounds. It's completely changed from what it was. Uh, 10 years ago to what is now, you're actually being able to get more range and more efficiency out of a battery now than you are getting eight, uh, five, eight years ago. So if you were to buy an electric vehicle, I would say keep it around three years and no more than that, just because of um, that technology change. So that's the first thing. I mean, the second thing is then uh, um, you have to charge at home for now. But however, I must say that Already there are entrepreneurs who are looking at it, and that's what you were referring to earlier. So an entrepreneur has decided to, that they are going to um, put in public charging points from Mombasa to Naivasha. So he's got their uh, first two pilots in malls in Nairobi at, um, at the waterfront and uh, at two rivers. And so um, I went there and I parked the vehicle and I charged for an hour as I had a beautiful breakfast at CJ's and came back and I had um, 30% of juice in that it's like a supercharger. It's giving yes. you more juice than you could get in the house. Yeah? That I could get there. Yeah. So, and that's going. That's the first step. So people are already looking at that. We at Basingo are building our own network for the buses, but you see, ours is very um, has to follow the routes where the buses are going. So, okay. we can, it's not centralized. It's a very decentralized system. But again, I keep I keep going back to the telcos company. When telcos came here, they had to build their base stations, all of them. They had to build their shops. They had to build their customer service. They had to do everything. Today, they've sold off the base station to a company that just does that. Uh, the shops, most of them, services are outsourced or online. So they still hold some customer experience areas, which 
they, they have, but that has, the model has changed and they're now keeping to their core business. What's going to happen in the next five, 10 years is you're going to find that all those public um, charging points may be privately owned and all you buy is energy. Mm. From, the, from mm. and maybe so for us we may be able to buy energy from somebody who's actually decided to roll them out and that becomes um, brings down the cost of um, of deploying of this technology and hence re- reduces the cost of the total cost of ownership but you cannot compare the total cost of ownership of uh, somebody who's driving an electric and uh, and an IC vehicle it's it's chalk and cheese for example I'll tell you I'm I'm getting for two thousand shillings worth of power. I'll probably get uh, 500 to 600 um, kilometers. I can do that with uh, with a uh, not with the fuel today. No, not with the. I mean, fuel today, today I think I pumped in 3,000 bob. The gauge went up a bit, but it wasn't a lot I, of fuel. I can't do 3,000 bob on my electric vehicle. That's too uh, much money. It's too much, and that will take me. I mean, with town running, where I'm being efficient and I'm doing regenerative braking, it'll it'll last. Uh, it should last me the month. I mean, even wow. on the buses, it's costing us not more than a thousand shillings a day in in power. But however, because of our model, we have to be able to use part of the savings to be able to finance the battery. So we are leasing the battery to you to be able to keep that all to keep the ownership cost down. So you've said basically, make sure you buy a car that's no more than three years old. Um, the reality on the ground right now is you'll charge at home. Are there any other key considerations that come to mind when you're looking to go the EV route at this time in Kenya? Just prepare to be mesmerized. <laughs> Great stuff. Moses, Asante Sana, thank you so much for joining us for this conversation and sharing so openly. We are really excited about this electric future in mobility in Kenya and the broader African market. I honestly feel, uh, and the reason I wanted you here for this conversation is because I think this is transformative potentially. And, you know, I thought it'd be good to share with our audience what's happening on the ground from somebody who's really uh, front and center of what's going on in this space. But thank you so much for sharing. And uh, we really appreciate you being on the Pure Digital Passion podcast with Moses Kemi Thank you very much. And thanks for the invitation.